It's time now for the complete story, a public news and information feature of Bot Radio Network to keep you informed about the most important issues of our day. Now, here's the BRN father and son team, Dick and Rich Bot, with today's complete story. This week, Rich and I have had a very, very wonderful time uh, fellowshipping with some of our extended relatives, some of our family members from Minnesota and from Cleveland, Ohio, and from various parts of the country. And we have just been thoroughly enjoying, enjoying uh, the blessing of God. Um, and that's a wonderful thing. Now, that doesn't mean every, every family unit is the same as the other. And everybody's had valleys. And thank God for the mountaintops. But it's been fun, hasn't it? It has been. And it's the, from the roots and legacy of that family that Bot Radio Network was born. <laughs> um, I tell you what, folks. We all, I don't know what your situation is, but we all have so much, so much to be thankful for. And here's Jim Reeves to sing about it. We thank Thee each morning for a newborn day Where we may work the fields of new-mown hay We thank Thee for the sunshine and the air that we breathe, O Lord We thank Thee Thank Thee for the rivers that run all day Thank Thee for the little birds that sing along the way. Thank Thee for the trees and the deep blue sea, O Lord. We thank Thee. Oh yes, we thank Thee, Lord, for every flower that blooms, birds that sing, fish that swim, and the light of the moon. We thank Thee every day as we kneel and pray That we were born with eyes to see these things Thank Thee for the fields where the clover is grown Thank Thee for the pastures where cattle may roam Thank Thee for Thy love so pure and free that sing, fish that swim, and the light of the moon. We thank Thee every day as we kneel and pray that we were born with eyes to see these things. Yes, we thank Thee for the fields where the clover is born. Thank Thee for the pastures where cattle may roam. Thank Thee for Thy love so pure and so free, O Lord, we thank Thee. You know, uh, I'm grateful and thankful to God and uh, that I have gasoline to put in my car. (laughs) And uh, 
in order to have groceries in the grocery store when we get there uh, for the food that is grown on the farms and the ranches all over the country. So we have a lot to be thankful for, don't we? Absolutely, yes. You know, we were at, Rich and I were at a conference many years ago, and the conference has the final banquet on a Saturday night. Some wonderful, wonderful speakers and workshops and and a whole variety of wonderful things about the country, about the situations in America at that time. And uh, it was a good conference. And then customarily on the Sunday morning, they would have a chapel service for those who wanted to stay and come to the chapel service. Kind of a Sunday morning. Um, yeah, that's the way to describe it, Rich, was a chapel. And um, when we got up in the hotel room, of course, the thing is, you're ready to pack your bags, check out, and head on home. And um, and so that's kind of the way I felt. But Rich, uh, you said, no, 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 the speaker is going to be really good. And I said, well, who is he? And you said, well, it's a it's a president of a college. As president of a college, it's a fellow by the name of Dr. Everett Piper. And I've heard that he's really a good speaker. And I thought, oh, man alive. What on earth would a president of the college say uh, after the wonderful, wonderful speakers that we have heard to really stimulate us and excite us and make us anxious to get home. Remember that? I do, I do. And he wasn't a dry college speaker. He no. was wonderful no, and that's an inspiration sure. uh, to trust the Lord. Tell you what it was. He was my kind of guy. And his name was Dr. Everett Piper um, from a Wesleyan. Oklahoma Wesleyan University at in that time, He's retired now. Um but he was then, and you know what, folks? He spoke on what college students should expect when they go to college to learn and not dictate and not just have party time and not just take charge of the place. Or to be coddled. But to go there as students to learn or not go. So here we are in August. Everybody's thinking about going back to school. Many of our listeners have children or grandchildren or maybe the students themselves. But I want you to hear what rang our bell that morning. And I said, wow, who is that guy? I want to get to know him. Um, you and, listen, folks. And he's now, become a good friend. And see what you think. Here he is. Well, I'm president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. So I'm the guy. I'm the guy you may or may not remember. It was two years ago during Thanksgiving week at Oklahoma Wesleyan University where we still stand boldly, boldly and unapologetically for those four pillars that I just described to you. The primacy of Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of wisdom. We are very clear about this. We are conservative and we are Christian. We put it in our banners, we put it in our architecture, we put it in our promotional material. You cannot come to my institution without knowing who we are. We do not sell vanilla ice cream. 
If you want vanilla, go someplace else. You can get that on any street corner. But if you want our bold and distinct flavor, come to Oakwood. Now, the students that attend there obviously have heard me, and they've heard this, and they understand this. And as a Christian institution, we still have required chapel. It was Thanksgiving week two years ago. I received a phone call after one of our chapel services. I was doing something else that day and playing hooky. I did not attend chapel. Well, the speaker, who was one of our vice presidents, called me, and he said, Hey, I need to give you a heads up. I had one of our students approach me after I spoke today and play the victimization card. I said, really? He said, yeah. He came up to me and he said, your sermon offended me. It singled me out. It made me feel uncomfortable and it likewise made my peers feel uncomfortable. And I said, well, Kyle, what in the world was your sermon on? He said, 1 Corinthians 13. I said, what? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 13. I spoke on love. I'm a monster, he said. (laughs) Now, I know that Kyle always speaks from a script. He never ad-libs. He always is using a text. And he's also very brief. Usually it's a 15-minute homily. So I said, Kyle, give me a copy of your sermon today. I want to read it. And I read it word for word. There wasn't one bit of sarcasm or political humor or anything that you would find offensive. It was 1 Corinthians 13, the quintessential love chapter of the Bible. Love is patient, love is kind. The least offensive passage of all of Scripture, I would argue. 1 Corinthians 13. And I've got one of my kids at my university who knows that they come to this institution because we stand for the primacy of Christ, the priority of Scripture, the pursuit of truth, and the practice of wisdom. And he's approaching my chaplain and saying he's offended by it. I was incredulous. Now, for some 10 years or so, I've been writing a weekly opinion piece for the local Bartlesville Examiner Enterprise, the local newspaper. And generally, when I write those pieces every week in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, five people read them and three people care. (laughs) This particular week, I was in a fuss. I couldn't believe the Snowflake Rebellion had reached my campus. So my op-ed this week was on this particular story. I generally labor over these pieces, five, six hours, trying to get 800 words perfect to try to engage a secular world with a biblical worldview and tempt the secular mind and reader to care. This week, I wrote it in probably 10 minutes. I was mad. Essentially said this, young man, you know that feeling of discomfort you had when you heard that sermon? It's called your conscience, and you might want to listen to it. And if you expect us to coddle you rather than confront you, if you expect us to make you feel comfortable rather than challenge your character, if you expect us to start issuing trigger warnings before we have an altar call, you might want to go someplace else. And then I concluded after a few more words and said, My land, this is a university, it's not a daycare. Now, unbeknownst to me to this day, somebody gave that op-ed to Glenn Beck. (laughs) I'm sitting 5 o'clock Thanksgiving morning in my leather chair with my chocolate Labrador keeping my feet warm as I do my morning reading, and my phone buzzes. And I look down at my phone, and I've been flagged. It's a Facebook message. 
It's Glenn Beck. Now, I'm not a Facebook friend of Glenn Beck's, and I think this is rather odd. And I look at it, and Glenn has posted this Bartlesville Examiner Enterprise opinion piece, and he's telling all of the people in the Glenn Beck, the Blaze, Mercury Studios world to read it for Thanksgiving dinner. Why this is Thanksgiving dinner reading, I don't know. I guess you'll have to ask Glenn. But by noon on Thanksgiving, about 50,000 people had read it on Glenn's Facebook page. I'm thinking, well, this is fascinating. By 2 o'clock in the afternoon, as my family is sitting down for Thanksgiving dinner, it's now up to 70 and 75,000. It's just clicking away as you watch it. In fact, my youngest son, who was a senior in college at the time, was home from university where, in Michigan, and he was sitting at the Thanksgiving table, and he looked at me as the numbers were clicking upward, and he said, Dad, you've said so much worse than this. All right. Two and a half weeks later, three and a half, people, three and a half million people had read the story. Drudge and Dreher and Limbaugh and Beck and Bott and Salem and the Washington Times and the Washington Post and the New York Times and newspapers in Canada, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, U.S. News and World Report, NBC Today, Fox News and Fox and Friends. And even papers in Oxford, England, and even in the Orient were picking up the story. The not-a-daycare president. This guy called out the snowflakes, and it needed to be said. Life changed a little bit. So what's the point this morning? Why should you care? Why did anybody else care? What I just said is not all that scholarly. Any good granddad has said the same thing to his grandkids. Any good father and mother in here, any good coach has looked at his players and said, no pain, no gain. Everybody in here who's an athlete knows that without the rigor and the discipline of going to practice and paying attention to the coach, all of you in here that's been a musician, who have been a musician, knows that if you don't discipline yourself to the rhyme and the rhythm and the cadence of music, that you're not performing a concerto, it's nothing but chaos. And every athlete knows that if you don't discipline yourselves to the rules of the game, that there are boundaries, and you listen to the referee and you pay attention to the coach, that you cannot play basketball or soccer. It's impossible to live life outside of the confines of some sort of boundary and discipline. Everybody knows that. This is not high scholarship. So why did people care so much about me basically telling a kid, College is a time to be confronted and challenged and to grow as a man of character. It's not a time to make you feel comfortable. Sidebar, sidebar. This one might be worth the price of admission, folks. C.S. Lewis tells us in the Chronicles of Narnia that the great lion Aslan is not safe, but he's good. The great lion Aslan, the Christ figure of, figure of the story of Narnia, is not safe, but he's good. Well, let's paraphrase that. The great lion of the liberal arts, the great lion of the academy, the great lion of education, the great lion of the church, the great lion of the gospel of Christianity is not safe, but he's good. There's a huge difference between goodness and safety. And I'd much rather have the first rather than the second. 
Lewis also tells us that when you put first things first, you get them. But when you reverse the order and put second things first, you get neither the second nor the first. The first thing is goodness, righteousness, truth, an objective measuring rod outside of those things being measured so that you can do some measuring. The first thing is goodness, not your safety, not your comfort, not your security. No pain, no gain. That's why people cared. I believe firmly that's why people cared. And I also believe that people cared because of something else very simple. The power of the word. Words mean something. Definitions mean something. You're in the radio business. You're in the communication business. You... Do your business through the power of the word. Yesterday during a panel discussion, I said, Jesus defined himself as an alphabet, my land. Why? He said, I'm the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Why did he define himself as the word made flesh and dwelling among us? Because there's power in words. And maybe, just maybe, the imago Dei, the thumbprint of God on our heart, on our soul, on our mind, is in the power of words, our ability to understand to debate, to argue, to quarrel, to come to conclusions. I've got news for you. I'm from Oklahoma, and when I drove from the airport from Bartlesville to Tulsa to fly here, I drove through the cattle ranchers, ranches, tens of thousands of acres of cattle left and right on the highway, and not one of those cows was arguing with one another. They don't care. They don't do this. They don't have radio stations. They don't have talk shows. They don't read. They don't understand words. You are the Imago Dei. You're the image of God. You are not the Imago Dog. One of the greatest problems of our culture, one of the greatest lies... And I've got about five minutes to bring this home. The greatest lie of our time is that we have forfeited the power of definition, the power of words. We've allowed the human being to be dumbed down to nothing but the sum total of what we're inclined to do. Our identity today is our inclination. If you're inclined, sexually or otherwise, to do something, that's who you are. What a lie. What an insult to the Imago Dei. That your proclivities, your passion, your gut, your libido, your appetites define you? Well, I've got news for you. I'm inclined to do a lot of things that I choose not to do. My inclinations do not define me. What I desire to do is not the sum total of my being. I can rise above it as a morally culpable individual and just say no. The power of your word to confront that lie is critical in the discussion of human freedom. Because really, that's what it all boils down to. Are we going to be bound to our appetites and enslaved to our gut? Or are we going to have the freedom to rise above a sinful inclination and be sanctified, set apart, to behave differently? That's why people cared. 
It's the power of the word made flesh and dwelling among you. I'm going to close with this. What's a Wesleyan? Actually, before I came here, I was in the Oklahoma House of Representatives chambers where they asked me to come in and deliver the opening prayer and a brief devotional. They gave me some instructions. Bullet number two. Don't speak to anything political or partisan. I approached the podium, and I read that bullet as my introductory statement to the devotions. (laughs) And then I said to the House of Representatives on Wednesday morning before I hopped on a plane to fly here, who in the world wrote that? Whose idea was this? Don't speak to anything political? Why did you invite me here? And I want to ask you, House of Representatives, who decided that the definition of human life was political? Who made the decision that the definition of a sacrament of the church, marriage, is too political? Who decided that the definition of a human being is too political? Who among you decided that the definition of a man and a woman is too political? My land, we've come to the point in our time, in our day, where we can't even agree that a woman is a biological fact and not a fabrication and a fantasy of a dysphoric male that wants to raise his hand on a given day and say, I'm a woman. Too political? My church, the Wesleyan Church, was born out of, out of a debate in the history of our country called abolition. We are an abolitionist church. Orange Scott and Luther Lee approached their church, the Methodist church, who at the time wouldn't take a stand against slavery, and said this. There's power in the word, and the word of God says that a black man and woman are human beings. And they deserve just as much freedom and dignity as anybody else in this room. And as the result of that debate, my church was born. Now, do you want to tell me that Orange Scott and Luther Lee were being too political? I would argue that's asinine, and that's wrong, and that elevates your word above God's. My challenge to you today, wave the banner. Wave the banner with confidence and clarity and courage. Stop the conversation. I'm sick of the conversation. The conversation implies capitulation. The conversation implies compromise. It is time for clarity and conviction and courage run into the face of the storm. Wave the banner. Wave the banner with this confidence that if you win waving that banner, great, that's God's grace. But if you lose waving that banner, who cares? It's the right one to wave and be ready to go down fighting. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, and you all know the quote. Not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. One more time. Not to speak is to speak, and not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. Be not silent. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, Rich, Rich, was that a message? Now, that was years ago, wasn't it? It was several years ago. Dr. Everett Piper, I love that sentiment. Wave the banner. I tell you what. Speak up. It sure did. Now, listen, we have some wonderful, wonderful listeners. And when they call during the course of the week, uh, then those calls are put into a transcript uh, that we can read and enjoy and then and then share with our listening audience in the voice of the listener that called. So here's the first one. Hi, I am so grateful for Bot Radio. I uh, have been listening since 1979. I'm so very grateful for what I hear. Thank you so very much. God bless you all. And thank you for what you do. Well, dear lady. Thank you for listening. Uh, you see, 60 years ago, when... Uh, my wife and I decided that this is the type of radio station we wanted that has now grown into a network of 120 stations or 122 yeah, stations. 120 stations and all kinds well, of digital new media. We just wanted to bring you the truth, uh, the unvarnished truth. Now, here's a gentleman who called in. I don't have enough to express how much I appreciate your station and what it has meant to me over the years. I appreciate the fact that you continue to help spread the gospel, and I pray that you will continue to do that. May God continue to bless your station and help you to just be all that he wants you to be, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, Amen. and thank you for your prayers. Oh, yes, that's the truth. Here's a lady that called in. I am just calling in to say how much I love the Bach radio station broadcast. I even listen to it at night. I leave my radio on as I sleep, and I wake up the next morning, and it's still there. And it has really helped me to grow in my spiritual life. Thank you, and yeah. God bless you all, and keep going with the good work. Yeah. You know, Rich, I could almost want to play Onward Christian Soldiers right now, but time is so short. Listen, here's a gentleman. Here's a gentleman called in. Hi, my name is Randy, and I'm calling from Omaha, Nebraska. I want to say thank you so much for um, Bar Radio. I have uh, listened to you all for years and years now. I just want to say thank you all for great programming. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Okay, thank Let's you. Give, give the phone number. Sure, the phone number to call our listener comment line is 1 800 345 2621. 1-800-345-2621. Well, there you have it, folks. Another chapter of the complete story. Uh, this is Dick Bott with my son, Rich, and we'll see you later.